Hi, this is Andy Wyslowski from Orchestral Medusa of the Dark, and you're listening to PX Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's a huge show featuring an interview with comedian Tommy Jonigan. My stepdad told me, I live in Illinois, and he said that uh, Letterman was from Indiana and that he started as a stand-up comedian. And at eight years old, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do stand-up. We'll hear more from Tommy in just a little bit. We have a brand new song from our friends Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings. We'll find out why I'm a 15-year-old British girl. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. A record-high Dow Jones Industrial Average and an upbeat hiring report propelled global markets higher Wednesday, which ended in a record high for the Dow Jones. In other news, the richest nation on Earth still can't pay to send old people to the doctor when they're sick. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was not doing the Harlem Shake. It was a college student wearing a McConnell mask that was featured in a new video by the Kentucky Republicans' campaign team. The latest dance grave is featured outside of Churchill Downs, home of the Kentucky Derby. McConnell is running for a sixth term in 2014. Staffers weren't able to learn the Macarena. An epic Lego spill on Interstate 79 in West Virginia on Sunday resulted in an hour's worth of badly backed-up traffic. CNET reported that firefighter Eric McLean took a photo while helping with the cleanup, which he then posted on Facebook. The photo shows thousands of tiny Lego bricks scattered across the highway while police and firefighters direct traffic. Several drivers were cited for not helping clean up the mess. The distance to one of the Milky Way's next-door neighbors, a satellite galaxy that orbits its outskirts, has been determined more accurately than ever before, astronomers announced this week. According to the new measurement, the nearby dwarf galaxy called Large Magellanic Cloud lies 163,000 light-years away. According to Apple Maps, it's about 117 miles away and is just south of Phoenix. For anyone who thinks TV is already saturated with sports of every stripe, stay tuned. Here comes Fox with an in-your-face challenge to ESPN, a 24-hour sports cable network called Fox Sports 1, set to launch August 17th. Media experts agree the venture could succeed as long as Fox covers big sports not under contract to ESPN, leverages its NFL coverage from sister network Fox TV, and doesn't have Dick Morris handicapping games. Canadian singer Justin Bieber apologized on Tuesday after fans booed him for turning up nearly two hours late at a London concert, blaming technical issues for his late performance. The 19-year-old teen idol had been scheduled to take the stage at London's O2 Arena at 8.30 p.m., but said in a Twitter message that the time was pushed back to 9.35 p.m. due to technical issues. Apparently, crews were trying to locate some missing equipment and Mr. Bieber's talent. I ain't mad at Bieb. And the head of Fox News says he likes Vice President Joe Biden, but that he has to wonder... I have a soft spot for Joe Biden, Roger Ailes told Zeph Chatfest, whoever that is. I like him, but he's dumb as an ashtray, added Ailes. Vice President Biden is so dumb, he could host a show on Fox News. And that's been Fake News with me. What do we know about P.F.? Well, we know he loves his family. He loves his Cleveland Browns, uh, even though they, they, they're, they're killing him. Uh, he loves his orchestral maneuvers in the dark and the Beach Boys, uh, the new wave music, 
uh, let me see, what else? Uh, uh, radio, of course, and, and broadcasting, which is why I'm doing this. And, of course, uh, I have an affinity for the English and other uh, British-influenced cultures, including the Canadians and the Australians. And toward that end, um, I discovered a couple of years ago, in summer 2010, you could listen to BBC Radio 1 online. And I remember uh, back in the 70s and 80s growing up that uh, my buddy and I were always like, oh, wow, it'd be so cool to live in Britain. You could actually hear you know, cool music on the regular radio. And people we would meet from Britain would occasionally say, ah, no, you know, Radio 1 is rubbish. And we'd say, well, why? And they'd say, well, you have to hear stuff like Foreigner and Phil Collins, and who I'm no longer mad at, by the way, but that's a separate story. Just an example that, I, that came to mind. Anyway, but we'd be like, but you can hear the Smiths and Depeche Mode and New Order and The Cure on the regular radio, at least. You know, we, we never hear that stuff here. So anyway, I've been listening to Radio 1 for a while, and I've kind of gotten fascinated by the whole Radio 1 versus Radio 2 audience thing. For example, I didn't realize Radio 2 is actually the bigger station over there. It's more of like a entertainment talk, and they play some music, and people really dig it, where Radio 1 is more akin to, I guess, the top 40 stations here uh, in the U.S. and Canada, except they play slightly better music and they uh, are more open to playing new music. That's it in a nutshell. Okay, so uh, Radio 1 is trying to uh, get its audience younger. They want it really down to the 15 to 29-year-old range. I think it's in the mid-30s right now. And uh, it's really weird because that means, you know, you think people be listening to Radio 2 who are older, but they're not. A lot of older people are still listening to Radio 1, like me. So anyway, for the past uh, couple of months, I've been trying to get on the 10-minute takeover. This is a request uh, portion of Greg James's program. And what he does is, at uh, I guess it's based on something called the 10-hour takeover that you do occasionally on Bank Holiday Monday and things like that, where people just, it's all request on Radio 1, basically. So he plays three songs, and they used to pick it all by text, which was unfair because I, I can't text the UK, and now they do it uh, one by text, one from Twitter, one from Facebook. All right, so I've been trying for months to do this. Finally, I think I cracked the code as to what to do to get my song on Radio 1, and I finally did it, and this was the result. We now go to P.F. Wilson on Facebook for Daft Punk. That is next. Huh? That's huge, right? And that also illustrates why I'm a 15-year-old British girl. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Greg James. Uh, Fangirl asked me if I was fanboying over him. And not really because he's 25, I'm 46. And uh, but he reminds me of me when I was younger and first in radio, except that uh, Greg James is taller, he's more English, and he's more talented. But uh, yeah, we'll skip to the end of this here. Great shout. Thank you, P.F. Wilson on Facebook. He slash she selected this digital love by Daft Punk. First one. Thank you, Laura in Basingstoke, for your choice in tonight's 10-minute takeover. We have Paramore for Stu in Daventry and for P.F. Wilson on Facebook. Daft Punk and Digital Love, a good 10-minute takeover tonight. Thank you very much for all of you for taking part today. And thank you, Greg James, and my apologies to your boss, BBC Radio 1 controller Ben Cooper, who would be very bummed to find out that a 46-year-old bloke from America got his song on the 10-minute takeover. Tommy Johnigan is a stand-up comedian originally from the Southern Illinois slash Greater St. Louis area. You've seen him probably on uh, The Late Show with David Letterman, as well as several other late-night talk shows. He's very hilarious, and we had a chance to talk to him this week. Here is our interview now with Tommy Johnigan. Hey, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's the very hilarious Tommy Johnigan. Tommy, how you doing? 
great. How are you? Pretty good, man. You said you were uh, expecting a call from a, a realtor. What were you moving uh, to to bigger places, or what's going on? No, I'm getting. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna getting an office. I need a. I had a baby, and I had an office at home, and the baby uh, evicted me from the office. It is now a nursery, so I got to get an office somewhere else. Oh, I see. Oh, so you're gonna have like a, an an office outside of home. Yeah, like you know, it's um. I mean, some people disagree, but comedy is still a job. Oh yeah. I like to treat it as such. Oh, you're not wrong. No, I like to go somewhere and write. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy writing and kind of being alone. I mean, not away from the baby. Right. The baby's not going to hear this issue. No, I don't, I'm not sure. She, she might be a subscriber. I don't know. Hopefully. We need the young listeners. <laughs> yeah, you, boy, you're not wrong about that, though, because just trying to put this thing together is just is just a horrible uh, 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 ordeal every week with a house full of screaming people and, uh, you know, people wanting this, and you're like, oh, well, you know, you can just come and do this for me real quick, and then, yeah, it's just so, uh, yeah, you totally need to have an office. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of things do you work on in the office? Is it as a matter of like, uh, you know, rewriting your jokes and economizing the words? Do you have other projects you're working on, like uh, writing for other folks or TV or something? Um, I uh, I go. I like to, I, I write stand up. You know, that's kind of the uh, thing I've done for the past eleven or twelve years or whatever. So I just kind of always dedicate a chunk of time during the day to try to write stand up, whether it's coming up with new material or looking at old material. I never take things that I'm going to put off stage. I don't like to write them verbatim, but I like to have kind of an idea. And then last year, I sold a show to NBC, so I spent the last kind of four months of the year writing on that, and then it ended up, NBC didn't pick it up, but we're going to try to sell it somewhere else. So that kind of got me in the TV blog. Like, I enjoyed doing it, so I'm going to, you know, kind of a little bit of time during the day each day. I'm, I'm you know, I don't know whether I'm going to write a spec sitcom or a, a movie, but like I said, I don't have the office yet, but I think that's right. going to be the my next thing is just write something on spec, just something I enjoy uh, the idea of and something I could really get into doing for a few months just for, I mean, the fun of it at first, you know, just do it, you know, uh, without the mindset of like, you know, I hope somebody buys it and I hope this makes me a million dollars, but just because mm-hmm. I like doing it and maybe I'll give it to some people to read if they enjoy it. There you go. Sometimes that's reward enough. Yeah, it really is. People forget about that, myself included. You know, when it does when you. I moved to Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and that's kind of the easiest place to forget. You know, the reason I started stand up was, you know, I had the end game in mind, but I was never in a hurry, and I was never, um, I was never like I gotta have a TV show tomorrow. I've always wanted one. But then you move to LA, and everybody's like, oh, you get one tomorrow, and then you kind of forget that. Oh, I was, I'm in no rush. I really love what I'm doing, so I'll just keep doing it, and, and just knowing that it's all gonna work out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to you want to corrupt the process. Yeah. So you moved to Los Angeles from where? I forget where you're from originally. St. Louis. I'm That's from right. Southern Illinois, which is a couple hours from St. Louis. Yeah. And I lived in St. Louis for about five, four or five years. Yeah. So you know uh, uh, Greg Warren and Jeremy Essig and uh, and uh, Andy and all them. I do. Yeah. There you go. I know. Yeah. The St. Louis and Gabe Great Kia. People. Yeah. The St. Louis crew. Gabe Kia. Yeah. He's a traitor. Yeah, he is. He's a hoser. No, that's, I'm kidding. He moved to Cincinnati. I'm kidding. That's right. Well, that's, he, uh, that's how I know him because he's He's a Canadian. Yes. St. Louis took him in as one of our own. Yep. And then he turns his back and moves to Cincinnati, Ohio. Ruddy hoser. And he's a funny sure. guy. He's been on Bob and Tom a lot uh, lately, too, so good for him. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He is. Oh, 
So I I can't remember uh, your backstory exactly um because it's been a while since we we spoke I think the last time we spoke was probably for a city beat interview but um so were you funny growing up or did you always you know were a comedy fan and thought that's what I want to do or how did it all come together? Never a comedy fan, always funny, but not in the sense of big boisterous kind of. Uh, I was funny. I was always sarcastic. It, you know, it's weird at a young age to know what sarcasm is, but I kind of knew it early on, and I also knew, like, kind of the quick wit, in-and-out joke of where you just, you say a line, get the laugh, and then go back to letting the class be it, you know, ah, there be you its go. own. Yeah. So uh, I was always I was always making people laugh, but I was never, my thing was, when I wanted to get into comedy was from watching Letterman. I just really enjoyed the way that he made people laugh, and I enjoyed, uh, there was some effortlessness about it, and yeah. kind of, when I started doing stand-up, the thing that I realized is, you know, kind of the reason I do stand up the way I do it is because I'm still uh, very insecure and I could get embarrassed easily. And I feel like, like right now, my style, if there is such a thing of what I do, is I just kind of get up there, talk, tell stories. And in the end, if no one laughs, I, I like to think that if no one laughs at my stuff, they don't even really know that I was trying to be funny. Like, there's never an embarrassment of failure, in my opinion. They're just like, oh, this guy's just not funny. I don't think he tried. Yeah. And I, ideally, people laugh, and that happens most of the time. But you prepare yourself for doing, you know, you do shows. Uh, when you're trying out new stuff, there's shows for about five or ten people. And uh, I could never be one of those guys that's really, you know, Sam Kinison or loud or yeah. jumping around on stage. Because when you're jumping around on stage and it's murdering, it's got to feel great. But when you're doing it, and there's 40 people not enjoying it. It just has to be embarrassing. I would be embarrassed. Yeah, I can't imagine that you'd have that much trouble because you're such a great joke writer. It's a lot of self-effacing comedy, which I think people really appreciate. Even now, so more days, that kind of humor is uh, people really it resonates with people. I think because people are just I don't know if they're more insecure than they used to be, or if it's just people are okay with being insecure now that it's with the nerd culture and all that yeah. stuff kind of having cropped up. Yeah. So I, I would. I, would think I definitely, obviously, the. Uh, there, you know, I have a lot more good shows than bad shows, or I'd, I'd be weeded out by now, I'm sure. And it really is like when the shows are going great, just doing it the way I do it, it almost feels like, I like doing it, like you said, with this fun, the writing. I mean, I don't like to write it verbatim, but I do try to practice word economy quite a bit, where I, you know, I just, I want to get the story out. I want people to kind of get the feeling of what happened and then use the least amount of words to do that. Yeah, you want to you want to get to that punchline, but least amount of words, most amount of laughs. There you go. That's that's the formula, kids. <laughs> there you go. All yeah. right. So, what what kind of th stuff? You know, I know a lot of it is about your own life and you know your relationships and and things like that. But you know, are there things are you want to jot the jot it down and kind of look at it later, kind of guys, or is it just stuff that pops into your head, maybe from something else that you're talking about on stage, and you figure I'll file that away? I kind of do all of all of the above, where. I will free write, that's just kind of almost like journaling, and then uh, essentially do that and fill up a notebook, which I try to do, fill up a notebook a month, sometimes every two months, and then go back and read through those things that I had, uh, you know, just jotted down. The idea is to write for like an hour without the pen stopping from moving, so that way you don't have really any filter. So then I read through those, and I'm like, oh, that was an, that's an idea that could be funny, and then some of the stuff is, I just have a thought, like, I find myself, I think about something often, and I'm like, God, there's got to be something. And then I'll just kind of toss it on stage, you know, towards the beginning of a set, and just talk it out, and kind of figuring it, figuring it out. 
in front of an audience. You know, like definitely have like, oh, I think that they may laugh at this, but other than that, I have no idea. Or sometimes it's just like, I, I, that's my job as a comedian is to go up there and um, kind of toss something out. Like it, it shouldn't be funny at first. If it's funny to everybody immediately, then that would mean everybody could do oh, the yeah. job. Uh-huh. So the idea is to kind of take something that, in my mind, I'm like, I could make that funny, and then go up there and you kind of fail at first. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it doesn't work, and then it does. So I like to take the things that hit you immediately, that, and then sometimes you're like, bam, and then right out of the gate, it's great. And then some of the stuff from that free writing notebook ends up being premises that I kind of talk about in my own head in a hotel room, talking on stage. And then sometimes it's just something that just kind of nags at me for a while where I'm like, now, you know, like it's almost the, the kind of something that it, it's like if I don't at least try it, it's going to bother me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and most of my stuff is about my life. I tend to skew, uh, you know, I talk about relationships a lot by talking about it through my relationship and and I talk about, uh, you know, kind of anything that happens to me. But there's always a chunk of relationship material because that, that interest, you know, I would talk to, to anybody kind of about a relationship for a while. It's a very interesting thing about it. Yeah the way two people get together. It seems, too, with your your voice and your style, the way it's been established, has you kind of maybe have a little more leverage to maybe monkey around like that with stuff on stage, whereas other people, uh, off the top of my head, a, a completely different guy like Stephen Wright, where it's kind of a bam, 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 you know, rat-a-tat punchline machine, it, it, people are less forgiving of that. You never try to be locked into something, if, if that makes any sense, but definitely Stephen Wright's style. He's so good. I mean, I've seen him live and in, in, in not so time with Stephen Wright, but I uh, I just sat there and watched him and I think he could have he could have probably done anything, but I think and this is just a theory of people like when you're saying when there's some and I don't know any examples of anybody going like, Oh, this this is my style, this is how I do things I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think the way you do it is I'm and, and my assumption is a guy like Stephen Wright, that's what interests him that's what he doesn't really think about the audience when he thinks of those things. He just kind of thinks this is what this is what I want to build, and you know. And then the people that will enjoy it will see it, and that's kind of you know. I can't really have the audience in mind. I just have to do what I I enjoy, which is relationships and things like that. And then you know, there's some stuff in my set right now like that are probably slightly different in style, but I, I I'd like to think that you know because I like them, the people that like me would like them, and that would fit. You know, it does seem different, but I think it still fits. And, and you know, it's kind of one of those things of like, uh, you know, if you built a house and then added on a room, you could make it look nice, even though it wasn't there originally. Yeah. So, how do you go from sarcastic uh, wiseacre to actually thinking, hey, I could really do comedy as a job? I, at eight years old, uh, was watching Letterman. My parents, my stepdad, and my mom came up with the. Uh, the plan, because I would just stay up and I would sneak and whatever. So they came up with the idea that I could stay up until the top ten. I could watch the monologue in the top ten, which is kind of a bummer because Letterman is, is the best interviewer. But yes. with, you know, when you're eight years old, you got to come to some kind of... I feel like I had a victory in that decision. <laughs> totally. And uh, then my stepdad just was, you know, he could tell. And, and then he told me, I live in Illinois, and he said that uh, Letterman was from Indiana and that he started as a stand-up comedian. At eight years old, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm going to do stand-up. 
and uh, one day I'll have a TV show. And it was never, um, I'm going to make money. It was never anything like that. It was yeah. just like, well, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to try to try to be really good at it. And once I'm really good at it, I'll have a TV show. So really it's more from a vocational perspective. This, this will just be my job. Some people are firemen. Some people are cowboys. <laughs> I'm just going to go. Yeah, there was never TV. a moment of, you know, went on from eight, and then, you know, my parents were kind of the cute thing as a kid, then it kept going. And then in high school, when they were starting to put kids in college, like I was very honest, you know, I was just like, I want to be a comedian. And, and I, I, I don't think I ever said I want to be. I think I always thought I'm going to be. If yeah. I was asked, I was just, I'm going to be a comedian. It's a long thing, but I would say. And I meant it, and I think people started taking it seriously. So kind of early on, you know, when I was a teenager, it would be the thing of, like, oh, there's Tommy, that's Linda, and Tommy, he's going to be a comedian, which is a weird thing, like, when adults, I just thought, like, if you kind of just tell people and you don't say it in a weird way of, you know, I wish and everything works out, if you just say it as fact, you can really make people just go, okay, so that's what he's going to do. And it was never weird, it was just a thing that, oh, there's that kid that's going to be a comedian. So you kind of set you set yourself on the path mentally there, and it, uh, I guess it's 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 kind of part of that what they say, you know, you just you, you know find a way to make it happen. You know, the the funny thing was not the funny thing. That's a weird thing to hear a comedian say when I know it's not going to be funny. <laughs> I would say interesting and and probably interesting just to me was by telling people and by saying it. You know, definitely I'm sure there's some people that you know I want to be a. I want to be a singer or I want to be a, a musician and you probably, uh, or a comedian, it's probably like, I don't want to tell people because it's, it's embarrassing and it's weird. But because I was so open about it, I was at the gym in my town of 6,000 people. I was working out and there's this guy that I was kind of buddies with and he said, oh, you, you know, I, uh, you want to be a stand-up comic, right? And I said, yeah. And I was 18 and I had never even been to a comedy club I had only seen a handful of comedians on television, but I just knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a stand-up. I didn't know what I didn't know how stand-ups made money. I didn't know where they did stand-up. And this guy said, "Oh, you want to stand? Come with me. There's an open mic right outside of St. Louis." So he drove me an hour and a half each way. And the first time I was ever in a comedy club, I watched him do an open mic. And the second time I was in a comedy club, I was doing the open mic. Wow! Kind of like. Had I not been telling people oh, that yeah. I wanted to do it, I probably, it would have taken a couple more years at minimum to just find the place where people did it. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so don't be shy huh? about, uh, about your dreams. Yeah, it, it really is a thing of, it, you broadcast it, and uh, on the same sense, I remember, uh, I vividly, the, uh, the brother of a close friend of mine just tearing into me because I sat somewhere to be a comedian and he was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're just going to make people laugh for money. Like literally just being like, you're an idiot. That is, is stupid. And I was being, no, he wasn't being humorous. He was being relentless. So you definitely take some of that. If you, you know, whatever you want to be, if it's, I want to design the largest skyscraper in the world or whatever. Some people yeah. maybe think, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard to your face. And then a lot of people say it behind your back. Huh. And who knows? One guy will just come up to you and be like, I know where you can design skyscrapers. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, man. Well, it sounds like it's all uh, working working in the right direction for you. So. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing also, uh, I don't know if this is doing uh, in the, the paper or this is just the online thing, but 
this uh, uh, go ahead will be recording a uh, a new CD. Yeah, it'll be titled Stand Up Comedy Three. That's why it's third CD. So it's, it's the second one I've recorded at Go so Oh, cool! All right, now this will be out in time. Get the crowds out there, and they yeah. The laughs can be forever recorded. There you go. There you go. Uh, for all of time. Yeah, this will be in print of, uh, next week when you're there, and, and the podcast is going to drop Sunday night, so uh, everyone can can dig that. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, of course, good luck the rest of the way and with uh, the the shows and finding the office and all that stuff. Right on. I appreciate it. I uh, hope to uh, see you on the show next week. Okay, we'll we'll try to make it out. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Bye bye. Thanks again to Tommy Jonigan for being on the show. And right now we have a brand new track from Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings, our old friends. You may remember them from uh, some previous episodes last year. We played uh, quite a bit of their stuff. They have a brand new album coming out April 23rd. This is the title track called Sorta, Kinda, Maybe. And uh, when Andy emailed it to me, he said he kind of uh, likens it to maybe a Beatles, Stones, CCR kind of vibe. And I listened to it, and I'm thinking, it sounds a lot more to me like an 80s college radio Athens, Georgia situation. So uh, see what you think. Uh, Email me. Uh, with the results, pfwilson84 at gmail.com. In the meantime, here is Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings with a brand new single, Sorta, Kinda, Maybe, on PF's Tape Recorder.
Sorta, kinda, maybe the brand new track from Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings. That is the title track from the new CD available from the 23rd of April. We will have all the details as they become available. Thanks again to Tommy Jonigan for being on the big show today. You can catch Tommy at Go Bananas in Cincinnati, March 14th through the 17th. He's recording a new CD there, by the way, and a lot of comedians record at Go Bananas. Go there, and as uh, Tommy said, you can have your uh, laughter uh, forever saved on compact disc and MP3 and whatever your favorite uh, audio medium is. Uh, Tommy will also be in Denver at the Comedy Works April 4th through 7th in Cleveland, Ohio, April 24th through the 27th at Hilarities and the Punchline in San Francisco, May 1st through May 4th. More dates on Tommy's website, TommyJComedy.com. All right, just enough time, I guess, uh, for the uh, credits that we always do at the end of the show, and that would be to like the show on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at PF66, Designed by Dan Koble, he did the logo, and his new podcast with his buddy Logan is uh, Magic Potion, and you can find that in iTunes. Let me see, music for PS Tape Recorder composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, we have a big interview again next week. It's the return of the Ocean Blue. Looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, so long and thanks for listening. <laughs>